Thank you, Liz. Now, well, in 1873, Anna Spafford and her four daughters were on a ship sailing to England. Horatio, the father, had stayed in Chicago to sort out some financial things and would follow them later. However, on the way, the ship was struck by another vessel and started to sink. And the four little girls and their mother found themselves in the icy water. Tragically, each of those four little girls, aged between 18 months and 12 years, perished. Anna was found semi-conscious on a piece of debris and was rescued. And when she reached England eventually, she sent a telegram to Horatio that just read, saved alone. What an incredible tragedy. I don't know how you'd feel if, if you received that telegram, a young family devastated. It's a, it's a, a tragic and terrible story, uh, though sadly there are many others like it as well. They would have no doubt felt gutted at that point. The question is, what would they do next? The Spaffords, they were Christian people, believers in the, the God of the Bible, a God that the Bible tells us is good and is in control. It was a moment of great suffering, great grief, uh, but you may not have thought of it this way, also a, a moment of great temptation, a temptation to stop trusting God in that moment. For each of us, as we encounter tragedy, as we see death intrude into our world, that same uh, offer is before us, wherever we stand with God, to run further away from him or to come towards him. See, the Bible tells us that we are made to know and love God, the God who made us, to trust him. That's the best thing for us. That's how we were made, uh, to rest in him. And that's the opportunity we've got again and again in life, including at moments of crisis. It's the best thing for us. And the great thing is that God helps us. He helps us grow in that very thing that is good for us, trusting him deeply. It's a little like if you give a, a, a gift of perhaps a, a new phone to a grandparent. Okay, a very generous gift on its own, very kind of you. But you so want your grandma to enjoy the phone, that you spend time setting it up, that you change the settings, that you download all the apps, that you, you show her how to use the photos, how to make a phone call. You don't want it just to have the phone, you want it to embrace and enjoy it. See, God has made us to love and trust him, an amazing gift. And that's good for us, that's what he wants for us. And he longs for us to grow in it more and more, to embrace it, to enjoy it. And so he gives us help. That's what our first reading uh, was about uh, this morning. It has this verse at the end of that reading. It says, Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted. And the situation in this passage, um, if you were listening, is about being enslaved by the fear of death. That's what we're talking about today. Help at those moments. When we're confronted by death in our world and everything that goes with it. When we're tempted towards fear, towards distrust in God in these moments. How does Jesus help us? So let's start just by thinking a little more about perhaps some elements of, of the fear that comes with death. Why is it such a, a fearful thing? As we look at it from a merely human perspective, I, I think this is why, that it's, it's unavoidable and it means great loss. Uh, think of these two elements of, of loss that, that come with death, uh, the loss of capacity and the loss of relationship. First, the loss of capacity. 
the ability to control things around you slips away. Uh, often, as, as you grow older, that capacity starts to fade and you can't look after yourself as much as you could. It's a sense of helplessness, powerlessness, ending, of course, in, in, in an inability to do anything at all, to influence the world in any way. It's a great loss. It also means the loss of relationship, too. Connection, conversation, enjoyment of a unique personality, gone. Bonds of friendship, family, broken by death. Great loss. You can see how these categories work out as we mourn the loss of someone that we love, for the Spaffords, perhaps. It was painful to see uh, these, these, these girls who had great capacity in life, great potential, no longer to be able to do anything at all. It was painful to see the, the, the relationships break. They would never get to know their daughters as they grew up. And these things that death takes away absolutely and finally... Uh, capacity to do things, relationship. We also long for those things and mourn them in their absence throughout life as well, as we get kind of little tastes of, of what death ultimately brings. Perhaps when we feel frustrated that we can't change something that we know is wrong. Uh, perhaps uh, we're just incapable of doing what we thought. We see injustices in the world, someone else's capacities sort of taken away, curtailed unfairly. It, it makes us sad to see that loss. Or relationships as they aren't, uh, as they should be, strained by conflict or destroyed by gossip or someone moves far away. Then too, we mourn loss. We feel this sense of loss that death brings finally and fully. And as we'll see, de- uh, grief is a completely appropriate reaction. Indeed, it's the, it's the reaction that demonstrates the belief that death is not good, which is exactly what God says. But there's also a temptation in those moments to react in other ways when things aren't as they should be. One of them might be to, to, I guess, fly to fantasy, to try as hard as you can not to acknowledge there's actually any problem going on, perhaps by making yourself busy or or perhaps uh, just uh, trying to push things down inside of you, suppressing the sadness. Or perhaps there is grief, but it's not a, a trusting grief. Perhaps it's full of frustration a sense that, well, things are unfair, that if you were God, then you'd know better. Things would be different. Perhaps it's a, a grief that is just straight out fearful, a niggling fear that, you know, there's no hope for anything better, that this brokenness is inevitable, unfixable. I wonder which one of those uh, you might be most prone to in times when uh, you're driven to sadness. See, in our world, death is unavoidable and it means great loss and even when literal death is not right on our radar at the moment we find ourselves confronted with other situations where things just aren't right little signs of death if you like if that's all there is to it then fearful frustrated grief well that's that's the the natural and right response because we are actually helpless Uh, that's why we need help that's why Jesus helps us he helps us with hope for the future uh, a hope that allows us to trust in the meantime. And as we look at this today, I'm, I'm hoping that as we consider Jesus' own death, but also his experience and his approach to death uh, in our world, that we'll appreciate him more fully, we'll trust him more deeply, and we will receive help from him in the times uh, uh, when death and loss confront us. Uh, let's move to uh, help 
for the hopeless. Uh, if you've not already uh, found it, there is an outline uh, that has some of these headings there if you'd like to keep taking notes. But we're on to the, I think, third heading now, help for the hopeless. So we see in our passage uh, in Hebrews 2 how uh, Jesus helps us by bringing hope in the face of death. Uh, it says there in verse 14 that Jesus was able to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Or as uh, 2 Timothy 1 puts it a little more directly, he destroyed death. Well, let's pause and, and just think about that for a moment. Death, I think, seems like such a fact of life that its destruction is difficult to comprehend. But in fact, the Bible says that no, death isn't a, a fact of life. It's the result of human sin. So it's not inevitable, but it is inevitable uh, for us who sin. And so to destroy it, to deal with it, Jesus shared in our humanity so he could help us. Have a look at verse 17. He was both faithful, that is, he always trusted God and never sinned, and merciful. He used his sinless life to rescue sinners without hope. So Jesus' uh, faithful, merciful human death meant, well, as it says there, it meant atonement for the sins of the people, the result of which is death destroyed. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus showed us. He was resurrected, never to die again. And so it means that those who trust him will also be resurrected when he returns. That's how death is destroyed. And so Jesus being human is key to dealing with death once and for all and bringing us hope in the face of fear, hope for all who trust him. But there's more to this than uh, simply holding on for dear life until the final destruction of death on that day. Jesus frees us from the fear of death even now. That's what verse 15 tells us. What he's done means that we don't need to be enslaved by this fear in moments when death confronts us, but instead we can trust him as we're made to, as he's good for us. There is hope. And he helps us with these exact circumstances. Now, verse 18 says... Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So how does he help those who are being tempted, uh, those who are being tempted to give in to the fear of death? How does he help us? Uh, as, we, as we get into that in our second reading, it's worth saying this series is a bit different in its approach to how we often uh, uh, work it in sermons here at St. Andrews and St. Paul's, where often work our way through a book in order. However, with this one, we're starting with a topic, uh, Jesus, I guess, humanity and how he helps us. And we're seeing that worked out in other parts of the Bible. And so the, the other part of the Bible we're looking at today is uh, John 11, uh, a passage where Jesus responds uh, to death and loss as it confronts him. Um, and it shows us how that makes him able to help us as we're, as we're tempted, as it confronts us. And so we turn to uh, help for the grieving now, uh, if you're following along in our reading uh, from John 11, the first thing you might have noticed is that Jesus has arrived late at the scene after Lazarus has already been dead four days. We'll, we'll come back to that a little later. But uh, first I want to show you that in Jesus' conversation with Martha, Lazarus' sister, it's clear that he doesn't fear death himself. He says confidently, your brother will rise again. And he goes on to explain how he himself is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus doesn't fear death. He hopes in God's promises of life. 
And yet, even though that's the case, even though he's got certainty over his own power over death, Jesus grieves. We see it there in verse 33 first. It says he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled uh, by the grief of Mary, Lazarus's other sister. See, Jesus', Jesus human gut is wrenched by this situation. He feels for Mary and for the other mourners. And then as they approach the tomb itself, uh, we come to this famously short verse, just says, Jesus wept. He cried, real salt water tears welling up in those eyes. And as he comes to the tomb in verse 38, Jesus is once more greatly moved. He's affected by this tragedy. Jesus knows, he knows that Lazarus is going to rise again at the last day. He's just encouraged Martha with that. He's not gripped by the fear of death. In fact, he knows, unlike probably anyone else there, that Lazarus will rise as a little taste of that in just a couple of moments. And yet he weeps. Jesus suffers through his own close friend's death. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to lose someone that you love. The bystanders comment as they watch Jesus. They say, see how he loved him in verse 36. See, grief is very right because it's an acknowledgement of the, the wrongness of death. Jesus knows what it is to feel that. But his grief is a grief that doesn't veer into hopelessness, doesn't veer into frustration at God, into fantasy, into distraction. It's a, a trusting grief. And so as we come to these situations, it helps to know that Jesus knows. When we're mourning, full of hurt, God knows deeply what it's like. He's moved when he sees you, like Mary, weeping and mourning. So come to him, speak to him in prayer as someone who knows he is moved by death. He is moved when we are moved by death. Let that help us when we are tempted to give in to fear, into disbelieving grief. Well, you might say, oh, well, it's all well and good for Jesus to display this kind of trusting grief because he was confident that he was the resurrection and the life. He knew that. He had that to go on. Well, actually, Jesus wants to give us more to go on as well. In fact, the whole kind of point of this story is that Jesus wants to help us believe. See, Jesus arrived when Lazarus had already died. That's how the passage started. At the start of the chapter, which we didn't read, Jesus had, had been told he was sick, and though it was only two miles, about three kilometers from where Jesus was to, to Lazarus, Jesus didn't go. You might have heard the tension throughout the section we read. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, i.e., why weren't you here? My brother would not have died. Some of the bystanders say, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why wasn't he here? Before turning up, though, Jesus uh, lets his disciples in on his thinking. This is what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. He says he's glad that he wasn't there to heal Lazarus. Despite the real grief that Jesus knows, he will suffer because of this death. Despite the grief that he knows, the sisters are going to suffer. The mourners are going to suffer. Despite actually dying for Lazarus, I can't imagine that was a comfortable experience. Despite death being a horrible, unwelcome visitor in our world, in that moment, preventing it 
is not Jesus' biggest priority. Death is not the worst thing. No, unbelief is the worst thing. Not that they're unrelated. Unbelief in God is the cause of death in our world, as, as we looked at at the start. See, Jesus is willing to go through this grief himself, painful, uh, real mourning, to display his power over death to his disciples, to those there, to us, to help them believe. You know, Jesus weeps at, at another time in the Gospels. Um, this is in, in Luke. He doesn't uh, weep over a dead man, but a dead city, an unbelieving city. He looks at Jerusalem and weeps because he knows that it faces destruction due to its people's rejection of him, their unbelief. Jesus' priority is to help us believe, to keep trusting even through grief. Because trust in Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life, means sharing in that life. And so after Jesus tells Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, he challenges her. He says, do you believe it? That's what he wants for each of us. He wants us to believe. And so to help us outside that tomb, to help them, what, what does he do? He simply calls out to Lazarus and the dead man comes out. He reverses death with a word. He shows that he is the resurrection and the life. That's his power. Of course, it's, I guess, no surprise if he really is the resurrection and the life. And it's something that he'll embody himself when he is killed, only to rise again uh, three days later. Death, powerless to hold him down. One of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Do you believe that? Horatio Spafford did. He was grieved. He was deeply saddened at the loss of his daughters. And at, at that time, the temptation was to throw trust in God out the window. But he knew what Jesus had done. So he displayed a trusting grief. Soon after the tragedy, he, he penned the words of a hymn you might be familiar with called, um, It Is Well. Uh, here are some lines from the, the first verse of that hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, when circumstances mean that we're deeply dissatisfied with the world, when sorrows like, like sea billows roll, when things just aren't right, the pinnacle of which is death itself, well, we don't need to insulate ourselves in a, a fantasy of unreality by keeping busy or keeping blinkered, uh, uh, saying that, well, maybe things aren't really a problem. Death is a bad thing. We need trusting grief. That's what Jesus had. And as we grieve, we do need to keep trusting, not veer towards fear and hopelessness, because there is hope. We have seen that in the reviving of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we grieve, we must keep trusting and not head towards, I guess, frustration, anger at God, because we think we do things another way, that uh, he doesn't understand. No, no, he, he understands. He himself grieves. He goes through grief for us, not to insulate himself from grief, but because his priority is for us to believe in the resurrection and the life, because he is the answer. God knows deeply what it's like and he cares. 
The Psalms are full of comforting and real words that help us in times like these. They're words spoken by uh, the God who himself has experienced grief. Listen to these words from Psalm 116. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. So we've seen that Jesus himself knows about this anguish of the grave. This psalm urges us to keep trusting in these moments because distrust, well, that's actually the source of death. So to give in to the temptation to to distrust as you grieve, that's, that's the way of death. Jesus wants better for us. And he became truly human for us. He shows us that grief, mourning in itself over death in this world is good. It's an expression of trust in God's better plan. And his becoming human means that what he has done about it applies to us. He's defeated it for us. He shows us that by raising Lazarus from the dead and then through his own powerful resurrection. It means that there is hope to be found in trusting him, the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Father, thank you so much that Jesus became human for us. Thank you that he grieves death, but also that he has destroyed it by paying for our sins as a faithful and merciful high priest. Lord, when we're tempted towards distrust in times of difficulty and sadness, Lord, let us fix our thoughts on him and let him be our help. In his name we pray. Amen.